0: Good morning. Along with Ben's welcome to worship, I'm Pastor Sarah. I want to welcome everyone to worship this morning as well as we continue in our summer sermon series, When in Rome, as we journey through this letter written to the early Roman church by the Apostle Paul. And so today we're we're looking at this core conviction that Paul has that we are not justified by our works, but by our faith, that God makes us right with him through our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And of course, there's all sorts of things that that he brings to this argument, to this issue of circumcision, an outward sign of an inward reality. We're going to dive deep into that in just a minute. But before we begin, let us have a word of prayer, if you would join me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you thanks and praise this day for your son, Jesus Christ, for the power of your Holy Spirit. For the way in which you work in our lives through that spirit. You call us into relationship with you. How you make us right with you. And more importantly, how you call us to grow. And to become more and more conformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, as we dive deep into this scripture, open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds. To what your servant Paul would speak by the power of your Holy Spirit into our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, outward signs of inward realities. That's what we have here in Romans when we talk about circumcision and uncircumcision. And just because I don't know anything about that, um, just by gender alone. I wanted to share this, right? I, I do understand outward reality, outward signs of inward realities. Uh, the first and foremost is if you don't know me, um, I did not grow up here in Fargo. I grew up in Metro Detroit, Michigan, and so because of that, uh, there's some signs of support that I had to muster up and do when I moved here. And so, for first things first, I became a Bison fan, and I've gotten you know the Bison football, yay, okay. And then, and then of course. Um, I I've got, I love going to Red Hawks game. I've got a Red Hawks shirt, and I wear this to every night game that I go to. I love it. But, you know, at, at my heart in the core, I'm still, I'm still very much a Detroit fan. I, I still, I love my teams. I grew up, before going to Red Hawks game, I, I grew up going to Tigers games. I, this is where I learned to love the game of baseball. And so I've, I've got Tigers shirts. I have a hat at home. And, of course, uh, my other favorite sport hockey um so I, I definitely have a red wings jersey and my kids all have red wings jerseys my husband said can't i just have one sport give me one sport sarah my kids are vikings fans okay but i'm so sorry i am a lions fan and uh and as i was looking through all the the sports paraphernalia and, and t-shirts and outward things that i wear to show like my support and and what i'm about um I I realized this is the team that I have. I don't just have the shirt, you guys. I've got the hat, I wear it proudly all winter long. I'm not gonna put that over my hair, okay. And then I love to wear these in the fall and winter. I've got the slippers and I've got socks. What does this say? What does this say about me? What is the outward reality? Yes, I'm a Lions fan, but I think there's an inward reality that's even more profound because I gotta tell you guys, you don't choose this. You're born into this, okay? I know that my team stinks, okay? They don't win. So what does this say? Well, as I look at all the Lions gear that I have, I realize, as I look at all the sports that I I watch and cheer on, I love to cheer for the underdog. I love to cheer for the underdog. Back when the Patriots were in like every Super Bowl, even though Tom Brady went to University of Michigan and I was a fan when he played there, I always cheered for the other team. I never cheered for the Patriots. Or when Djokovic, Djokovic is, is playing tennis, I'm always cheering for the other guy. I always want the underdog. So these are outward signs of an inward truth in reality. So what does that have to do with our scripture today? Well, as we're listening into this conversation that Paul is having with the Roman church, we are realizing that they are wrestling with this outward sign of an inward reality. And the questions are this. Who is in Abraham's family, the one who has this promise of God upon him, who is in Abraham's family, who belongs and what makes them belong? The second question is this. What is required of the Jew and the Gentile to receive the promise that was upon Abraham? Because when Abraham was chosen, God asked him to, for this outward sign that everybody would know that you're, you're mine and your heirs are mine because you're going to do this one thing. It's called circumcision, right? Is this now required of even the Gentiles? Well, Paul spends a couple chapters, about two and a half of chapters of Romans, to speak into this argument that's happening in this young and, and to be quite frank, mostly Gentile Roman church. They're wrestling with this question of who does God's promise belong to, and how do we know? I think this is something that even we today wrestle with. Who does God's promise belong to, and how do we know? Well, Paul writes this. This promise of righteousness, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This is the part that Paul writes just before our reading today in chapter 4 is that all, right, all who have faith in Christ Jesus are made right. Because all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So all are justified freely by his grace. Those who are of of Abraham and those who aren't. But the Roman church, they push back. No, really, how do we know? How can you tell what's required of those who are forgiven and believe in Jesus? Because Paul, for generations... For generations, the Jews have lived under the requirements of the Torah, which included circumcision. It's one law out of over 600, right? But they they followed them all. Because this was what was required of them as a sign of being chosen by God. So Paul continues the argument because he knows that he's got to convince him even more and more. He, he knows that this young Roman church, that, that, they, that he needed to grab their attention of all the people of influence in the Western world. Rome was it, and he had to, man, drive it home. And so he, said, he continues it this way in chapter 4. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul is quoting Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. The sign that was asked of Abraham isn't until the next chapter. So Paul continues, now to the one who works wages are not credited as as a gift but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly their faith is credited as righteousness. For those who are wondering about these laws that the Jews have followed for generations as the chosen ones of God, Paul continues in Romans 4, 9 through 12, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign. Not as the point of righteousness, but as a sign. A seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then... He is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but who also follow in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So this question that this early Roman church had and the Jews who were among them, how is God fair? I mean, ultimately what we're doing, what we're asking here in this early Roman church is we're asking about the character of God. Is God fair? Is God trustworthy? Does this mean that God has gone back on his promise to Abraham? And Paul resoundingly says, no. No. You know, this issue of fairness, it's where we get stuck as humans, oftentimes in our faith. And we don't just wrestle it with it here in this faith. We wrestle with it all of our lives, right? It just kind of consumes us at sometimes. A point and example, just a couple weeks ago in our household, we started chores so that our, our kids could earn a weekly allowance, right? We just started this. It's kind of brand new, only a couple weeks in. And so, I, you know, my husband and I, we come up with a list for our older 8-year-old son and a list for our younger 5-year-old son. It's the same number of chores, the same amount that they can earn. But given that one's 8 and one's 5 and they have different skill sets and abilities, the chores are a little different to match their ability and what they're able to do. So we start this chore list. We're all part of the same family We all have different responsibilities, but we're all part of the same family working for the same goal. And so we get started at this a couple Saturdays ago. And immediately it became a game, right? It wasn't just about getting the chores done and earning an allowance. It was like, who can get it done faster? Who can get it done better? Who's going to be on top, right? And all of a sudden, after the second week of this, our older son picks up on the fact that even though he's working super hard and super fast at his chores, somehow his chores are getting done at the same rate as his brother. And he looks at his list, and he looks at his brother's list, and he says, Mom, how come my chores are harder? And I'm like, Oh, Otto, it's because you're eight, and you're bigger, you can do more things. He can't do all the things you can do. So we were matching what can be done based on what you guys do and he's like yeah but we're making the same amount of money and he's not doing as much i said no that's not true you're doing the same amount no we're not and he all of a sudden he's caught up in what's there and we do the same thing too as adults i've heard it many many times from many people in our congregation how is it How is it that I can be raised in the church, I've been baptized, I've been confirmed, married in the church, I continue to worship, and yet, and yet, God's grace, all that forgiveness, all that righteousness, can be put on somebody who, who man, they've lived a horrible, terrible life, and yet somehow the day they come into faith to God, they're saved? How's that right? How's that fair? I've actually had that put to me, many times. And yet, let's think about this character of God. Is he trustworthy? Is he fair? Is God faithful to God's own promises? You see, our ability to trust and hope in God, they're all at stake in this argument, in this passage. And the truth is, is that God is trustworthy. He is faithful from the very beginning. When he created all that there was, he deemed it all good. He placed his image in each and every single one of us. So how would that same God not also make a way for all people to know him, to come to faith in him at any point in their lives, circumcised or uncircumcised, early in life or late in life, This God who put his image in us and said it is good, this God who saw us walk away from him, what did he do? He he sent himself, his one and only son, into the world, took on flesh and blood so that we could see his love on full display. So that through Jesus' life, his death, even his resurrection, we all could look to the one who finally makes us right with God, not by our works, but by his work on the cross and empty tomb. Would God really be trustworthy or faithful if he didn't do that? So Paul writes in chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. God has been trustworthy since the beginning. He is trustworthy through the end. in Jesus, God seeks to show us through flesh and blood. His incredible, unimaginable, hard-to-ignore love and faithfulness to us wayward humans who often are the most faithless ones, right? It's us who are consumed with drawing the lines of who's in and who's out to demand outward signs for only things that God can see and do in human hearts. Paul, a Jew, points out that faith in Jesus not works, not outward signs. It's what God counts towards us as righteousness. So what's the point of the good works? Because he, he also doesn't want to throw out the law. We'll hear about that a little bit on later on in Romans. What's the point of all these good works? Why? Why continue to follow the law? Because of his power to point to the one who makes us right with God. Our outward signs are no longer for our own righteousness. Instead, this hope, this joy that we've received in Christ, we let that shine out. We do the good works so that others may come to know the love of Christ. Here at Hope, we we have an incredible opportunity to partner in ministries with some really great ministries in town. One of them is the jail chaplains ministry. And just recently, we were able to start going back into the jails and offer Alpha, uh, kind of a a beginner's course, if you will, or a basics of the Christian faith for people of faith or who want to have faith. And when they just started offering this Alpha course again, just a little bit ago in the jails, four four to five volunteers would go in to teach Alpha. Two of those volunteers are members of Hope. And what we learned was this that even in the jail where we've got a lot of brokenness and a lot of people who need grace and being made right with God and a new start and a new life, that Alpha Course filled up. It filled up. They had to take over two different spaces to make it work. They had to pull in not only two volunteers like normal, they have four to five volunteers now. And why? Why do these members of our church, why do they do this? Because the joy and the hope we have in Christ isn't meant for us to hoard and have to ourselves. It's to share. So that those who are without hope can have it in Jesus. So people of hope, it is my my prayer for each and every one of us today to ask ourselves, how have we received this hope that we have in Christ? And how then can we share it with the world? That god so incredibly loves and gave his son jesus christ for it for whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life let us pray heavenly father lord i give you thanks and praise today for your son jesus christ who makes us right with you thank you for your servant paul who reminds us over and over again that it is not what we do, but what you do, what you have done, what you continue to do through Jesus and the power of your Holy Spirit making us right with you. So Lord, for these outward things that we do, for these works, Lord, use us for your goodness and grace. Use these outward signs to draw more and more people to you, pointing people continually to the love of your Son, Jesus Christ.